Hello and welcome to the Oregon Climate Action Series. This series will be focused on the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality's Climate Protection Program, how you can get involved in ways to take climate action right now. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Haley K. Scott, and I'm the Climate Justice Grassroots Organizer with Beyond Toxics and the NAACP Eugene Springfield. I work in the Eugene Springfield area in creating climate resilience and engaging community members. So now some of you may be wondering who is Beyond Toxics and who's the NAACP? Beyond Toxics is a statewide environmental justice organization that is working to advance policies that ensure meaningful participation. We work to cultivate grassroots leadership from Oregon's frontline and impacted communities. And we really just work to make sure that our community members are included in any type of rulemaking, decision-making, and we'll be getting a little bit more into that later. The NAACP is one of the most largest and most preeminent civil rights organizations in the nation. We have over 2,200 units and branches across the nation, along with well over 2 million activists. Our mission is to secure the political, educational, social, and economic quality of rights in order to eliminate race-based discrimination and really to ensure the health and well-being of all persons. And so that's why I'm really excited to talk about the draft rules, because I really believe that they fall short in meeting the goals that Beyond Toxics and the NAACP has set out to achieve. I've invited a few guest speakers to tell us a little bit about the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality's Climate Protection Program and I'm going to say ODEC CPP to keep it simple and short. Tell us a little bit what it's all about and why it's important for Oregonians to know about. So our speakers, they're going to really be talking about who is the DEQ, what do they do, and how can I get involved? Today we have Aaron Saylor from Columbia Riverkeeper and Molly Tack Hooper with Earth Justice to tell us a little bit more. Hi, Haley. Thank you so much for having us on your podcast today. We're super excited to be here. Um, my name is Erin Saylor. I'm a staff attorney with Columbia Riverkeeper. I work primarily on our fossil fuels campaigns, um, focusing on you know climate change and stopping um, many of the fossil fuel terminals that we have popping up along the Columbia River here. Um, so I'm super excited to be here with you all to discuss this really important rulemaking and what it means for Oregonians. Hi, and thanks, Haley. I'm Molly Tackhooper. I'm a senior attorney at Earth Justice, which is a public interest environmental law firm. I'm in the Northwest office and work primarily on environmental justice work, including a lot of work in partnership with community groups in Oregon. Thank you so much, Erin and Molly. We're so excited to have you with us today to talk about the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality uh, and their climate protection program. And so I guess my, my first main question for you both is, what is ODEC? What do they do and who are they? Sure, I can take that one. So um, the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality, which usually gets shortened to ODEC or DEQ, um, they're a regulatory agency whose job is to protect Oregon or the quality of Oregon's environment. And they do that by adopting and implementing regulations, programs, policies, 
across a wide range of environmental issues, including air, water, and waste. Um, they're overseen by a commission of volunteer volunteers um, called the Environmental Quality Commission, or EQC. And that commission has the final say on many of the regulations and policies that DEQ develops. So as we're going through our conversation here talking about the Climate Protection Program, um, you know, it's important to understand that where we are right now is that DEQ has devised or developed the draft rules, and now they're at the point where um, it's getting shifted over to the Environmental Quality Commission or EQC for them to make a decision on um, whether any changes need to be made or whether they should be adopted as they're currently drafted, which um, we'll get into more in a minute here, but um, we definitely think that there are some changes that need to be made um, to the draft rules as they are now. And I can add one additional piece of context. The reason we're talking about DEQ today is that back in March of 2020, Governor Brown signed an executive order that directed state agencies, including ODEC or DEQ, to do everything they could to reduce greenhouse gases in Oregon to 45% below 1990 levels by the year 2035 and 80% below 1990 levels by the year 2050. So the Climate Protection Program is DEQ's first stab at developing a new program to try to achieve that goal. Unfortunately, we think it doesn't get us far enough towards that goal. Wow. Thank you so much, Erin and Molly. That is definitely a lot of information and a great introduction to what it sounds like a huge department that's doing a lot of important work. I just, I had one quick question. Molly, you did mention Governor Brown's executive order. Could you just explain what is an executive order? Yes. An executive order is a directive signed by the executive, which in Oregon is the governor. She's, she's the chief executive that basically says how she wants to use the power that she has. The executive has a lot of control over state agencies and can do a lot of things without legislation having to be passed through the legislature. So there's a lot of already existing laws that authorize DEQ to regulate air pollution. Uh, and so they are using some of that already existing authority to, um, in new ways to try to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in the state. Okay, thank you so much. That helps a lot before we move forward. So now that we've heard a little bit about who ODEC is and what they do, can you both speak to what the Climate Protection Program is and why do we need it in Oregon? Sure, I can go first with that. Um, so the Climate Protection Program, as Molly mentioned, this is really DEQ's attempt to um, meet Governor Brown's directive in Executive Order 20-04 to do everything in their power to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So within that executive order, Governor Brown specifically directed DEQ to um, develop a program that will put a cap on greenhouse gas emissions from large stationary sources and certain fuels and to require those sources to decrease their emissions over time. Um, and at the start of the rulemaking process, DEQ set forth three goals for this rulemaking that they're undertaking right now. Um, one is just to do exactly what the governor directed them to do, which was to set the limits on greenhouse gas emissions from large stationary sources, transportation fuels, and other liquid and gaseous fuels. 
The second is to define who the program is applicable to and how it will be implemented. And the last one is to prioritize equity by promoting benefits and alleviating burdens for environmental justice and impacted communities. So as we're going through this rulemaking process, um, DEQ is supposed to be keeping those three goals in mind. Um, and as we'll discuss later, we feel that they may be falling a little bit short on that third goal in particular, which um, is they're supposed to be prioritizing equity and alleviating burdens on environmental justice communities. And we feel that there's a lot more that they could be doing um, to reach that goal. Basically, it's two separate programs. There's a cap and trade program that applies to fossil fuel suppliers. So that's the methane gas utilities, Northwest and Cascade Natural Gas and Avista, and like gas stations and propane vendors. And then there's another much, much smaller program that applies to a handful of industrial polluters. Uh, so on the fuel supplier side, this cap and trade program, basically DEQ sets a cap on the metric tons of carbon dioxide equivalent that that sector as a whole can pollute each year. And uh, they divvy up those credits, uh, give them away for free. And then the fuel suppliers can save them for later or sell them to each other. Or they can basically buy offsets. They can, instead of actually reducing their greenhouse gas pollution, they can pay a credit to a nonprofit that is going to do some other project to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So it basically allows them to shift the burden of actually reducing greenhouse gases in Oregon to a nonprofit that has a better idea for how to do it. Uh, and on the stationary source side, uh, I think the really important thing to know about the program is just how small it is and how many people are excluded from it. So when you think of the biggest greenhouse gas polluters in Oregon, the top ones are fracked gas power plants. They are not included in this program at all. After that, there are a lot of other industrial facilities that combust fossil fuels and have greenhouse gas pollution from that. Those are not included either. <laughs> so the, the stationary source program only applies to a handful of uh, industrial facilities that have kind of unique emissions profiles uh, and are included in the program for that reason. Holy smokes, that is a lot to take in. So, you know, I had a few questions that came up and I'm just hoping you both can maybe clarify a few things. You talked a little bit about a cap, so that's placing a limit on greenhouse gas pollutions from what I understand. You talked a little bit about stationary sources and it sounds like those are the bigger polluters. Can you just, can you clarify that term a little bit more for me? Sure. So on the, the cap side, one thing I forgot to mention is the program's a cap and reduce program, which means that the cap actually shrinks over time. So it decreases the amount of uh, greenhouse gas pollution that fuel suppliers are allowed to emit over time in towards 2050. Stationary sources are, well, they're stationary. They're not sources that move like trains and planes and cars. They're, you know, factories and other big facilities uh, that stay put in one place, uh, emit greenhouse gas pollution and then usually a lot of other forms of air pollution as well. Okay, that makes a little bit more sense. Thank you, Molly. So in the beginning, I also heard that there were there were three big goals that are that they're aiming to achieve within this climate protection program. 
one of those goals was to promote equity throughout the draft rules. And you talked about promoting benefits and decreasing burdens. Do you have any examples of what that might look like in terms of benefits and burdens? Yeah. So a lot of the communities that are living closest to these facilities are what are often referred to as frontline communities. So these are the communities that are experience the effects of climate change first and worst. They're typically lower income or BIPOC communities, and they typically have the least economic means to move away, not just from the facilities themselves, but from rising sea levels, increased fire risks, and you know other effects of climate change that we're seeing. So one of the goals of this program is supposed to be to alleviate those burdens on those communities that are living closest to the facilities. One of the ways that DEQ thought that they were going to alleviate those burdens is through what they've called the community climate investments. So as Molly alluded to a little bit before, in order to meet the overall program cap, which is like a which is the, you know the set amount of greenhouse gas emissions that all of the facilities that are part of the program together cannot go over that number. Each facility will have its own set emissions limit as part of that cap that it has to meet. And some of those industries are not going to be able to meet those limits immediately or maybe ever. So they have the option to buy credits for each pound of pollution that they emit over their limit. And those credits are going to be paid to third-party nonprofit organizations that will implement projects to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. One of the problems with the program right now is that these community climate investments, or CCIs as they're called for short, there's no requirement in the rule that the projects a company buys into be located immediately within the vicinity of their facility. So they could end up investing in an emissions reduction program that's clear on the other side of the state. So those environmental justice communities that are living closest to the polluting facility won't end up seeing any reductions in you know, the emissions right there in their communities. There won't be any beneficial impacts for air pollution. And so that's kind of one of the big ways that we see that this is, program is failing environmental justice communities. Thank you so much, Erin, for explaining that a little bit more. It's really good to hear about some of the issues that are coming up with this with this process and everything that's going into the climate protection program. So I'm just wondering like what can what can we do to make a change? How can we make sure that environmental justice communities actually have those burdens alleviated? You know, I'm just I'm just wondering like what can I do or what can our listeners do? So the rulemaking process is obviously it's a very technical process. You know, it's hard for us even to have this conversation with you here without getting bogged down in these crazy technical details. And it's also easy for the agencies to get bogged down in these technical details of emissions limits and economically feasible technology. But the result is that the community's lived experiences, which is the core reason why this rulemaking is being undertaken, ends up easily lost. And so what we need now is for folks to 
really step up and tell the agency their stories and bring the human environmental aspect back into this process. And so as part of the rulemaking process right now, DEQ has put the draft rules out for public comment. So they're up on DEQ's website. You can go there, you can review the rules. They also have some summary pages up there to help understand what's in the rules exactly. But there's going to be two upcoming comment periods or two upcoming hearings, actually. So um, we need folks to step up and, you know, have their voices be heard. Come submit written comments to the agency. Let them know how you're being impacted by the emissions from these facilities or by the climate change impacts from these facilities emissions. You know, you can come to one of the two hearings that are coming up. Um, and tell DEQ and EQC directly, you know, what, how you're being impacted by these rules. I would add, I think that two overarching messages DEQ really needs to hear, and EQC, the agency that is ultimately going to decide whether to adopt these proposed rules or send them back and ask for changes, the messages they really need to hear are that the, this program is not ambitious enough. Uh, it's just not going to get us to where we need to be to avoid climate catastrophe. There are too many exemptions. And the other one is that it does not do enough to ensure that frontline communities and downwind communities actually enjoy the benefits of regulating greenhouse gases. Any program that allows greenhouse gas polluters to buy and trade credits from each other or not reduce and just buy offsets uh, is inherently problematic. And on top of that, the community climate investments piece of the program, which is the offset program where the regulated fossil fuel suppliers can pay a nonprofit to do some other project instead of reducing their own greenhouse gas emissions. In theory, that program is supposed to allow community groups to decide what kinds of greenhouse gas reducing projects would benefit their community most. But as written, it's really hard to do that. It's really burdensome to propose a project. So I think DEQ and EQC need to hear that they need to do more to ensure that if there's some kind of offset program, it benefits the most impacted communities in Oregon. Wow, thank you so much for laying that all out and letting us know how our listeners can get involved. It's it's really important to know about this, but I'm, I'm wondering... All of this is a little scary. And so to submit public comment, do I need to have prior experience or like, do I need to have a big background to do this? Not at all. (laughs) Yeah, no, anyone can submit comment. Everyone has a stake in this. Climate change affects all of us. So absolutely everyone has a place in this hearing and you can speak from your own experience. You don't need to be an expert in, you know, reducing climate pollution. Yeah. And I'll just add, you know, they're so used to hearing the technical part of it, DEQ, that they want to hear the stories. They need to hear the stories. And, you know, I've spent a lot of time just listening to the public comment portions of these hearings and the ones that I personally find the most impactful and you know even on zoom when everyone has their cameras on like you can see how people are reacting to um, the testimony that's being given and 
the personal stories are the ones that seem to have the most impact, particularly on the Environmental Quality Commission, which hasn't been as steeped in the technical details as the staff folks at DEQ who are drafting the rules. You know, so it's so, so important to have that perspective and to hear those stories. And, you know, in terms of how scary it is, it absolutely can be, you know, a little nerve wracking the first time you do it. I have to admit the first time I provided testimony, even as an attorney, I was a little bit nervous to do it. But like I said, we have this webinar that we are hosting, Columbia Riverkeeper, Power Pass Frack Gas Coalition, Road Climate. We're all coming together um, beyond toxics as well to host this webinar where we'll help folks get comfortable with the idea of providing testimony. So that webinar on September 21st, 6 to 7.30 p.m., we'll talk about what it's going to look like, how much time will you have, what's the best thing to focus on, and just to kind of help people feel more comfortable with that, with providing testimony. Whew, that makes me feel a lot better. I, I definitely want to attend that webinar workshop. It sounds like it's going to be really helpful, um, not only in trying to figure out just how to write a public comment, but just building confidence and getting ready to do it. So thank you, Erin and Molly, so much for running through what the Climate Protection Program is and defining all of those keywords and terms and just giving us a little bit of background on what the Oregon Department of Environmental Quality is, what they do, and why it's important for our listeners to understand and take action and do something about what's going on in this rulemaking process. And so before we close out, I'm just wondering if either of you would like to provide any closing thoughts. So there are so many proposed fossil fuel facilities that have been quashed because of grassroots advocacy by people in Oregon. We're really hoping to harness that same momentum to strengthen this rulemaking and get Oregon's environmental regulators to pass a stronger program that benefits communities and actually gets us where we need to be to avoid climate catastrophe. Yeah, and I can just add to that too as an example. Um, you know, I it's gotten pretty statewide attention, but the Zenith oil terminal in Portland um you know, that is, it's an oil by rail facility. It had originally been an asphalt facility. Zenith came in about three years ago, four years ago now, um, purchased it, turned it into an oil by rail facility without really the regulators even knowing that's what was happening. And, um, you know, activists and community members have been working for four years to try to find a way to slow down and reduce or stop the number of oil trains that are moving through you know, the Columbia River Gorge, Vancouver, Portland, um, to reach Zenith's facility. Um, and just about two weeks ago now, we had a major victory where we convinced after a lot of people coming forward and having their stories be heard and their voices be heard and just standing up to the city of Portland, we convinced them to deny a major land use decision um, which the effect of which is that now DEQ can't issue Zenith a renewed air permit. And if they don't have a renewed air permit, then they can't operate. So that's really a testament to what can happen when everyone comes together and lets their voices be heard. 
Um, and we're really, really hoping that we can have a similar result here with the Climate Protection Program. So I know I've mentioned the webinar on the 21st a number of times now over podcast. I'm not sure what the best way is to get you guys that information on how to sign up for that. So I'll just throw my email out there. It's just Erin, E-R-I-N, at ColumbiaRiverKeeper.org. Feel free to email me and I will send you the information for how to attend that webinar. I'm sure Crystal and Haley also have login information um, for that. And then that is leading up to the DEQ hearing that's going to be on September 22nd from 4 to 7 p.m., which is just the following night. So we'd love to have as many people as possible show up to that and have your voices be heard. It does not need to be technical. We don't want technical really at this point. We just want, you know, your your stories. Um, and then finally, if, you know, you're not comfortable providing testimony in a hearing format on Columbia Riverkeepers website under the Take Action tab at the top, you can find a petition there that you can sign. Um, that will go directly to DEQ and the Environmental Quality Commission and Governor Brown, letting them know that you think that there are issues with the program as it's written. And there's also a comment writing guide as part of that, that take action page that you can use to write your own comments if you want to as well. So definitely check those out and feel free to reach out anytime if you have questions about any of this. Well, now I feel like I should drop my email too. <laughs> Aaron knows where to reach me, but I'm at mtachhooper, that's M-T-A-C-K-H-O-O-P-E-R at earthjustice.org. Wow. Thank you, Aaron and Molly, so much for giving us your contact info just in case anybody has questions. And I really do hope that our listeners can join that webinar, that workshop to learn, learn a little bit more and just meet other people who are interested in taking action on this. And so I, I really appreciate your wealth of knowledge. This has been really great. And I just want to thank our listeners for tuning in to our first Oregon Climate Action podcast. In our next podcast, we will be talking a little bit more about how to tell your story when writing public comments or giving public testimony. So stay tuned. Thank you so much.